Welcome to Frustrated and Exhausted, the podcast for women in leadership, where I help you fulfill your ambitions without sacrificing your sanity or your resilience. I'm really happy to be welcoming Caroline Colliston to the show today. Caroline is the Executive Partner for Scotland at DWF. And as well as being an experienced tax and share schemes lawyer, she has had a really interesting career and taken a a bit of a different path. She is also the chair of the Business Leadership Group of Scottish Business Pledge and a member of the DWF Global Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Leadership Group. She's a passionate advocate on gender equity and she recently published a piece in The Times sharing her reflections on equity, balance and mentorship. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Caroline, I'm really happy to welcome you today to Frustrated and Exhausted. Could you kick us off just by telling us a little bit about your career path? Because I know it's been a bit unusual kind of in the legal sphere. Thanks, Ruth. My career has been an interesting journey and (laughs) definitely one that's been full of gaining lots of different skills. So uh, I trained with a very large commercial law firm in the central belt in Scotland that had a London office and I stayed there until 2009. I had my daughter in 2004 and returned on a part-time basis and Mm. up to that point I was on a full throttle partnership track until I asked to work (laughs) part-time. What was the response? It was well you're obviously not committed enough to the business if you're um, going to work part-time so you know you can't expect to do both and you can't spin those plates and you can't have it all uh, mm-hmm. and you know men face the same choices so really? I thought that was quite interesting yeah definitely <laughs> and of its time hopefully yeah and I think it very much was of its time I then had my son in 2007 I continued to work part-time sort of had an a dalliance with another firm a dance on, on contract um, and didn't sign because actually they talked a good uh, flexible talk and actually when you walk the walk in the contract and looked at it, it was not not particularly favourable, particularly for those who wanted to work with caring responsibilities. So that was a bit of an eye opener for me. Um, financial crash hit. No. Everyone was joyous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, lots of legal businesses really struggled at that point. And my daughter was about to start school. So I thought I could become Nigella. <laughs> <laughs> And being a domestic goddess. So I took redundancy and uh, that really wasn't what the business had expected or wanted. But but I took it thinking that, you know, I can do this. I can be a full time at home mum for a bit. Um, and that lasted less than three months. Okay. So I okay. must have missed the emails or something. <laughs> Very challenging then to get another part-time role and also having committed to my child going to school and all the childcare around that and the structures mm. that everyone juggles um, with after school care and before school etc I then ended up tutoring at the University of Edinburgh oh, um, wow. tutoring revenue law because I'm a really exciting tax partner I thought I'd impart some of my knowledge and that was really interesting and then that progressed into tutoring on the professional competence course, which was part of the qualification to become a lawyer at that point, a solicitor in Scotland. And that was evolving into a new framework called PEAT, 
and uh, the university was going through an accreditation for the diploma. So I was seized upon by the teaching staff at the University of Edinburgh and very sadly, the most inspirational deputy director of the diploma became unwell, Mm -hmm. um, very unwell. And I had to step in and support running the diploma with the the really excellent tax partner, um, another firm, Alan Barr. And it was really challenging, um, not only on a professional level, but a personal level, because so much admiration for the person who was terminally ill and also um, having to teach their child at the same time who's on the diploma and also you know a very very um, growing point in life but always keeping the good humour that she demonstrated all the way through her life and obviously trying to get some form of um, order out of chaos when you've got 150 lawyers to organise as tutors and about you know well over 120 students plus transient students that come through for the professional competence course. So it was all really, really interesting. Lots of good opportunity, international leadership course there Mm. as well, able to study and grow. Um, And then uh, also keeping some consultancy work up on tax with uh, an ex-colleague who developed their own firm. So kept the hand in the tax market very quietly. A lot of late nights. Yeah, I bet. How you're laughing now? <laughs> How did you do that? You know, because that's that's lots of different roles professionally, lots of opportunities, of course, as well, but lots of different roles professionally, and you know your roles in the rest of your life too. Like, how did you navigate that? Probably not very well. Okay. <laughs> um, I probably gave too much of myself to all of these roles um, Mm -hmm. and not very much to myself. So my self-care was pretty poor, actually, on reflection. Um, I made myself very vulnerable to stress. Mm -hmm. And and ultimately, I left the university because I was on the verge of a breakdown. So I did actually, an iconic building in Edinburgh, I can recall telling you um, that I walked past where I I thought if I just keep walking no one will notice I've gone and all these problems and all these difficulties will disappear so a circumstance occurred at the university where I was being harassed by someone by email and coming to my door and the university was trying to support me with that but I was vulnerable to that because of Mm. my stress and at home well you know obviously my husband had to bear a lot of the load as well and he's also a professional and working really hard Uh, so there was a lot of balance checking balance and juggling a lot of after school care a lot of clubs mm-hmm. a lot of money thrown at things and just generally existing rather than living for a period yeah. at points but it was a temporary period um and I don't regret it for a second but I learned a great deal mm-hmm. a great deal and I'm sure you're the same with scenarios yeah. that have come up in your life oh most definitely I mean I think some of I mean, I guess it's, it's a truism, isn't it? It's one of those things that people say, but it, but it, they say it for a reason that I think the hardest times in life are the thing, times that you you learn most about yourself. You learn most, I think, about what's actually important and what matters to you. And, you know, in resilience terms, that can only stand you in good stead for the future because you've you've learned those lessons and, you know, you kind of, you can't avoid the hard times, but next time they happen, you you kind of know what you need or you know the things that you've you've done before that have kind of helped you 
or that you haven't done, but you should have done, you know, whichever way it is. So how did you, how did you navigate your way back from that point? Because that sounds like a really tough, tough point. So I use my network. I Mm -hmm. spoke to um, the firm I was working for and I took a part-time role with them and I ensconced myself in the world that we all got used to in lockdown and I worked from home, which was really unusual. Mm -hmm. I worked from home on a three day a week contract and once every two weeks I travelled to their office to work uh, and that was excellent. And I did that for a period of a few years and it was a really good working balance for me when the children were small I was able to spend time with them doing reading sitting at tennis clubs or at the side of a swimming pool (laughs) reeking of chlorine Um, but they got skills for life as a result of that and I still kept my hand in being a solicitor a tax you know working on tax mergers and acquisitions things that I was told I could never do necessarily because I was a mum I'm not necessarily available all the time mm-hmm. and it was challenging you know there were points where it, you know you would have deadlines but then I was able to rebuild physically and mentally so I could I spent some time getting myself back into shape and also some time mentally so when I was traveling to their office I took photographs out the window of a train and I've got a book called um, Trainfulness that I called oh. it in, on photo box yeah so that, that was a reminder of that time of you know the world is such a big place. And at that point, I always pointed out the sunrise and the sunset and a beautiful sky to my children. And they still they still point them out to me. And I think it's remembering you're part of that greater being. So Caroline, what was it like then kind of transitioning into the next phase of your career? Interesting. So um, someone I'd known for a very long time in fact, from university, contacted me via LinkedIn and said there was an opportunity to at DWF and, you know, would I consider it? And I wasn't sure because I had such a flexible existence. Mm. But I met him for coffee and uh, he sung the virtues of where we both still work. Mm. And uh, he persuaded me to come for an interview. And that was great. But I suppose on reflection it was probably one of the biggest missteps I made in my career (laughs) where I didn't back myself so I didn't believe that I had the abilities or the qualities to come in at partner level to replace a partner who had left and sold myself a little short because I was part-time and made to be feeling so apologetic for it and because probably I didn't think I was good enough um, so that is something I will never do again and mm. will advise others uh, to certainly back themselves. And I'm sure you've probably come across these scenarios as well, Ruth. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's been a few times where I've needed other people around me to do the the encouraging for me to step forward where, you know, you kind of think, can I do this? Am I going to fall flat on my face? Is this possible? I mean, one of my kind of biggest promotions, um, it was it was a bit of a jump and I hadn't been doing the previous role very long. And I knew I was probably going to be the youngest in the team and managing quite a large team that worked in quite a complex environment. And yeah, I mean, I had every excuse in the book going into that interview, but I still went for it. But I went for it because... My husband and other people around me were, of course you can do it. You know, you've got to back yourself. Why are you not more confident? 
Um, because on the outside, a lot of people would look at me and think, she's so confident. She's done this and this and this. Why is she not, st-? you know, why wouldn't you? But on the inside, of course, it, it often feels really quite different. Yeah, I think that's totally right. And when I was at the university, I went for the director job, not because I thought that I could do it, because I was acting in that role, but because I wanted to make sure that I was sure that I'd be working for someone who's better than me. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so that was really interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I did have that confidence at that point. And then obviously I went through what I went through there. So that obviously broke me a little. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have that confidence and then spent three, four years building up to getting partnership again and then you know it's roller coasted from there you know it's been really fast paced and I've, I've been a partner and I'm now running two offices as well as the exciting tax day job so I have a real leadership role in our global business which I would never have imagined back then and I would never have imagined in 2009 when I took redundancy to become the domestic goddess that I wasn't <laughs> yeah being a domestic goddess is hard <laughs> hardest job in the world yeah. is being a parent no one trains you for that and and actually that is the bit that no one talks about enough mm. is that um, the expectation to become a parent the expectation yeah. to be good at your job you know we're we're schooled to be perfectionists and actually there's no perfection in parenting parenting is such a um, roller coaster of emotion and physical exhaustion yeah <laughs> It's an endurance race, really. Um, And, you know, in the last 20, it's nearly 20 years since we had our daughter. And, you know, it's the best job in the world, but also sometimes the most difficult thing to navigate. Definitely. I'm sure you find the same. (laughs) Oh, I do. Every day. Every day, definitely. How do you, you know, I'm really struck, you know, with your career and with your background in law and, you're clearly somebody who likes to excel. You know, even the way you describe, I wanted to be the domestic goddess. <laughs> it's not just, I wanted to, you know, just be at home and kind of maybe do a bit of cooking now again. I want to be the domestic goddess. How do you manage that drive yeah, alongside <laughs> everything? Yeah, that's a really good question. So some people misinterpret me as really super competitive and I am, but it's with myself, not with others. Mm. Um, I'm pretty hard on myself, actually. I'm my worst critic and probably my most destructive self is my inner critic. So it's trying to stop that, particularly now that I'm of a certain age, that it's even harder not to do that. And that drive is difficult and I'm sure I'm incredibly difficult to live with. In fact, I know I am because I am driven and I do want things. I don't really sit still. Okay. So the children say, you know, mom, you just don't really sit and chill and watch the TV. I go to the cinema if I go and I fall asleep because actually it's dark <laughs> <laughs> and I've probably not had enough sleep. So there are points in my life I've had too little sleep. So that's not good. But balancing that though, that drive is, I never struggle to get out in the bed in the morning to yeah. do my job ever. I never lie there and think, I don't want to get up or, oh, it's another day. And I don't understand the concept of, oh, my goodness, it's Monday. But you know that I have a different driver and my different driver is my sister. Mm. And she is unable to do that. So in a sense, I kind of feel like I'm working for two of us. Okay. What's it like to take that on? It's pretty heavy. (laughs) But it's also 
I'm so grateful that I'm able to do it. Because when you see someone who can't, who's got that vital spark, that amazing intelligence that you've got, and that repartee and that psychological energy, but their bodies let them down, then it does drive you forward. It really does. But there are times that my husband has had to say to me, mm. come on, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you, can't, you can't work for two. <laughs> You know, you're you're now you described earlier, you're now in quite a big leadership role, you know, two big offices, sort of Scotland, basically. What do you try to role model as a leader for the people coming up, for the women especially coming up? I try to be as authentic as I can. Mm. Um I try to be myself. So, you know, that whole bit around approachable visible and authentic leadership you know being compassionate and understanding that some days you can't bring 110 percent to the workplace because life is making it too challenging to be able to do so mm -hmm. um, and accepting that you know when I was younger I didn't suffer feels gladly at all and I still probably don't so I'm pretty direct I'm pretty honest I won't pander but I also want people to understand that you can achieve anything you want if you put your mind to it. You don't have to do it in a sprint. So my squiggly, mm. bumpy career, hopefully, is an example that you can get there in the end. Um, and it's not all about doing it at the same pace. It's about your own journey and owning your own journey and your own brand. Mm. I think that's a wonderful explanation in a way of what compassion really is. You know, a lot of people hear the word compassion or they talk about compassionate leadership and they think, oh, that's just being nice to people. When compassion is about honesty, it's about really connecting and real conversations. And like you say, accepting that life happens to all of us and, you know, supporting people to to get through those those periods, knowing that actually in the long term, they're going to come out the other side wiser, stronger, you know, more, more, more. <laughs> they will be more, basically. Yeah, that's that's a great explanation. OK, so thinking about what's helped you through, you talked a bit about your, your support network. How have your kind of role models and mentors and, and friends and that, that network, how have they kind of helped get you through everything? get you to where you are <laughs> wine <laughs> uh, laughter yeah an ability to be honest um and you know not pretend that the world is rosy uh, and you know social media makes everyone think that everyone's life's great mm. and actually it really isn't each day has its challenges and my friendship group i've met, met some amazing women along the way um, and I have some amazing guy friends as well who are supportive and have pushed me, you know, from whether it's in fitness or whether it's in my professional life to keep ploughing forward, checking and balancing that I'm okay when I've taken on a role. I've got great mentorship in the business mm -hmm. and the people that put me in this position to take this leadership role <laughs> on or asked me to, or took the, as I say, took a punt and put me in, check in with me regularly. They are supportive they hold me to account but they also remind me to celebrate the successes yeah. which we don't take time to do and I think that's great my, my parents are incredibly supportive 
um, and my in-laws as well. My husband's been incredibly supportive and always said, you know, you've got to back yourself more. And we actually had a conversation about that the other day where he says he can see the difference from my various roles and how that's built up and given me different skills that I bring to the table. And I suppose recognising that having a really good memory and being able to connect with people and connect what people do is very valuable, mm. which I used to dismiss before. And I've got a bit of a photographic memory, which I'm struggling with now, obviously, with hormonal change. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that that has been really helpful too, um, just being able to spin all these plates, but but also being able to check in with people who occasionally you don't always see eye to eye with, who mm. challenge you. You know, friends from the past who sort of say, you look, you look terrible. You look exhausted. What are you doing? Yeah, sometimes that tough love, you, you need those people in your life. I've got a friend who does that. Good. <laughs> in fact, I've got more than one. You look terrible today. Thanks very much for that. But, you know, you you need to hear these things because it's that, I think especially when you're driven, you know, when you've got that internal drive and sometimes you don't recognise in yourself when you need to just slow down or stop or pause for a minute, having other people around who will reflect back at you what's really going on. And also, you know, how amazing to have people around you who care enough to notice and Correct. who care enough to say those things to you. I think that's really important. I think one thing we don't recognise is that women need to be seen. Oh, yeah. Um, and not, And they also need to be not just heard but listened to and I do think that often we talk a lot we're quite emotional sometimes emotive mm. passionate and that gets misinterpreted in the narrative and actually being seen and heard and then listened to with action taken off the back of it is really important there are many examples I can give of being on zoom calls or in meetings where I've watched an opinion of a woman or a statement being ignored or something I've said where my name is not remembered because I'm the only woman in the room, but I'm referred to as, you know, the Scottish woman, for example, <laughs> um, which yeah. is fine. You know, I'm happy to be distinctive rather than Caroline has said, you know, or I agree with Caroline, I agree with the women from Scotland. <laughs> oh. Yeah, there's, there's something about, when you're not seen in that way, you know, even to be given the the respect of your own name. Correct. You know, it's really hard then to feel like you have authority in a conversation, like anybody is listening. If somebody can't even remember your name, when you're the only one around the table who's not a man as well, you know, that's that's not good. <laughs> it's not. And I know busy, you know, Zoom calls get busy and yeah. all the rest of it as well. But there's also that element in your personal life. You need to feel seen and heard. And when you adopt all these different roles, at the moment I'm a nurse, a mother, mm. you know, a professional lawyer, I sit on these boards. There's lots going on um, in life, but I'm also me. And in that I need to be me. So I need to be able to go to the gym or go for a coffee or speak to a friend, but just be me and not be a wife, a mother, a nurse, a lawyer, the leader of the business, the person that everyone leans on all of the time. And I struggle with that if I can't be me. I need some time to be me some of the time. And that's difficult for those around me to always recognise. 
and it almost feels a bit aggressive to say, but I need to be me. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I think it's really interesting, you know, when, when people talk about work-life balance, they talk about the work part and they talk about life in the context of those other roles outside of work that you carry. But there's that third point, actually, that, that that is that space in the middle that is who you are and what you need. And so often that just gets squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And sometimes you don't even notice that it's gone because it's okay. so busy and you're just, I think you said earlier, existing and not living. Um, and I think that's where that that feeling comes from sometimes is that our, our little space is just squeezed to nothingness. Yeah. Oh. So... In terms of kind of thinking more broadly about the legal profession or actually organisations in general, like, you know, you've you've obviously been thinking about your own organisation and how you can make that more equitable and how you make things possible for people and not, not only women, you know, people to have better lives, to, to sort of incorporate work better into life and and to enjoy that process more what do you think needs to really change I think there has to be an acceptance that life gets in the way sometimes Mm. um that we must deliver excellent client service that is what we're here for that's what our business is all right around but we also need to have honest conversations with with our clients about Mm. deadlines and time scales and the art of the possible and really the art of the responsible. Mm. So that it's in their interests to get something maybe 12 hours later or 24 hours later than they would have asked for because it means that a certain person can be checked in with or that someone has more time to think or they have more time to breathe. And that's something that the legal profession and professional services more generally has struggled with. Mm. I also think a flat structure, we operate a very flat structure. We all work in an open plan area. We're all very approachable. You don't have to put time in a diary to speak to someone as I know as my day disappears, (laughs) but it's fantastic because being tangible and available is really important. Mm. And that to me is also being personable. It's being able to say, You'll say something, you'll do something, you'll follow it up. And that whole trust cycle of genuinely just doing what you'll say you'll do in itself, for me, is what we're able to do. And what I think we need to change is it's not just hearing, it's listening. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an important distinction. Caroline, thank you so much for that. There is so much in that conversation and I know we could talk for a longer about all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll do part two another day. A um, few little quick questions for you before we finish up. So first one, best motivational quote or saying, what's yours? Well, I love this because my daughter was taught this in primary six by her teacher. And I then heard it at another conference and I love it. I live by it. It's be you, everyone else is taken. (laughs) Yes, I have heard that. And it is, it's a really great one. Okay, next one. We'll move on quickly. Person you'd most like to work with that you haven't already. So I've gone for the fantastical here. I think it's... Barack Obama, um, not that I'm vaguely US political. <laughs> I must admit, I think he'd be up there on my list as well. It just, in terms of leadership, that at least from the outside seems to come from a real place. 
Yeah, Agreed. absolutely, 100%. All right, finally, this might be a guilty pleasure. Favourite law drama ever? <laughs> well, mine is Silk, the BBC series with Maxine Peake. I would quite uh, like to be her. <laughs> what is it about her that you particularly like? Direct, raw, northern, <laughs> brilliant mind. Well, it sounds like you get pretty close <laughs> from everything you said today. <laughs> Caroline, thanks so much. It's been great speaking to you. Thank you. What a great conversation that was with Caroline. So much in there that I personally really resonated with. I think one of the big takeaways for me is is how your internal drive and that competitiveness with yourself and that, that real drive to excel and to learn and to be better and do better can become destructive when you're trying to carry too much um, and trying to excel in so many different areas of your your life. I definitely recognise that in my own career. And, you know, learning to balance it can be really frustrating because it can feel like you really have to pull back in some areas in order to find a bit of a balance. Like Caroline, I would really echo, I think, the the importance of support network. You know, those people who do tough love, who reflect back at you when you don't see it yourself, that actually you are tired, you are run down, you do maybe need to pause. And really recognising that and listening, listening to them, listening to those people, it can really help. And I loved her point about the art of the possible and the art of the responsible in organisations around helping everyone, not just women, but everyone to find a way to be productive, to deliver for clients, to to love what you do, but not at the cost of your own well-being. And that idea of responsibility in organisations to do that, you know, I completely take the point that business outcomes are non-negotiable. You know, that's why businesses and organisations exist, is to deliver for people. But within that, I think, you know, Carolyn's point that there is a responsibility to have conversations about what is reasonable to expect from people. You know, there might be a short-term gain in, in showing a client that you can meet a super short deadline, but if that becomes their expectation of you, then what does that do to your team, to your people, over a period of time? what's actually the long-term, in the long-term best interest of the clients and of the organisation and of the people who are doing the work. I think that idea of the art of the responsible in organisations is a really important one for everyone, um, for gender equity, but also for equity full stop. I really loved that conversation. I hope you did too. If you've got any questions or any points that you want to follow up with, you can connect with me and with Caroline on LinkedIn. I'll put the links in the show notes. And yeah, any questions, send me a DM and I'd love to take some time to answer and to have a chat. Take care and see you again next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Frustrated and Exhausted. Hit the follow button for future episodes. You can also follow me on Instagram at Resonate Leadership and LinkedIn at Ruth Alexandra Wood. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. Frustrated and Exhausted is brought to you by Resonate Leadership and the wonderful team at the Podcast Boutique. I'm your host, Ruth Wood. Take care and speak to you soon.